Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I am back for this one this week. And as for usual, Scott and yours are here as well. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Hi guys, hope you're well and I hope everyone at home is well as well. I'm probably better than Scott this week. (laughs) (laughs) That is probably an understatement for sure, given this weekend's results. Uh, Let's quickly go through them before we dive into all the action. Uh, Friday night, Union hammered Erpen four goals to one. Saturday quarter-like shocked Club Bruges, or maybe it's not a shocker these days, 1-0 at home. Molenbeek and Veslo drew 1-1. Charleroi beat Antwerp three goals to two. Uh, as you always kind of mentioned, Genk hammered Mechelen 4-0. Circle Bruges beat Ghent 2-0. Stanley Age beat Anderlecht 3-2 in dramatic fashion. And then managerless Leuven uh, showed you don't even need a manager as they beat St. Truden four goals to nil. Let's start with the table toppers, one of the more informed sides in the league against one of the least informed sides uh, in the league, uh, Union against Erpen in Brussels. Obviously, kind of tension and emotion, I guess, around this one after the incident that happened um, during during the international break in the capital city. And yeah, obviously, all of our well wishes go to the families of those that were affected. It's just awful, awful stuff. Um, and it was, I guess, kind of fitting. You could say that the opening score was Gustav Nilsson, obviously from Sweden himself. Uh, Lloyd Clappers has some fantastic work down the left. He puts it in Nilsson. He had to stretch, stretch really well, and he's a big bloke to head it in. Held up the two in a mark of respect for the two that lost their lives. Um, and then, yeah, Union just went on a little bit of a rampage. Uh, Cameron Puertas with some lovely feet. He finds Rasmussen with the outside of his foot. He smashes it into the far corner. A couple more chances for Union in the second half before Mohamed Amora ran onto a long ball to make it three goals to nil. Open did get one back from a set piece when Victor Paulsen headed in, but literally a minute later, Kabangu got his first goal for Union to make it four goals to one. I mean, guys, Open, that's a, a ridiculous amount of defeats on the bounce now. Uh, we kind of we praise them at the beginning of the season. Then we kind of, I think, Joris, you were one of the first to mention that they always do really well to begin the season. It's just how long they can sustain it for. And they haven't really sustained it at all. They're now dropping into the bottom four. Minus 12 goal difference, just leaking goals left, right and centre. Obviously against a very good union side, but that some of their defending was just abysmal. Uh, has to be said, I think for the Rasmussen goal, no one tracked his run. None of that midfield dropped in to track him and they were around him to be able to do it. Um, it feels at times that Palson's basically defending on his own. Slanina hasn't really got a chance with many of the goals that did go in. So, yeah, they could have been worse as well when Van Hoop looked like he had scored, but VAR overruled it. So, definitely back to the drawing board for Florian Kofelt. For Blessing, doesn't need to go back to the drawing board because they just keep on rolling. Um, good times in Brussels for them, but bad times for the Pandas. Yeah, well, we used the word, um, I think, free fall recently when we were talking um, about Open, didn't we? And that's that's kind of very much continuing. That's their sixth straight loss. Um, and in that time, they've they've only scored five, but they've conceded 17. 
um, over those six defeats, but they've conceded 26 in total, so they've conceded more than anyone else now. So it's kind of obvious to to identify what the what the immediate problem is, but they're they're not doing enough to to kind of want getting anything out of any games um, at the moment. I think there's a there's a few issues um, rumbling there. Uh, the biggest one, obviously, is 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 the psychological impact of the free fall. Um, you know, you can tinker with things to try and address the defensive issues, and there's plenty that probably could and should be ongoing there in terms of the the work that goes on in the training ground um, with Florian Kofeld and his staff but my worry is just that cumulative effect of uh, of a of a situation that psychologically gets out of hand uh, very very quickly so yeah they're 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 in they're in trouble really I think um, because they have a, a a sticky schedule coming up um, as well although there are games there that when you look at you think okay well um, they they should get some points from some of these games. You would have no confidence that they're going to do that at the moment. Unfortunately, the way that they're the way that they're playing, and actually four one, um, you know, could have been so much more than that. In truth, you know, Union were were well out of sight really by by half time. The game was over very early. Totally dominant. Spen was saying really fitting that Gustav Nielsen would would open the scoring um, this past weekend after after the terrible events in in, in Brussels on 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 Monday evening. Um, extraordinary, extraordinary scenes really. Um, you know. Those who are watching what will happen will know that, you know, home fans at the the national stadium, the King Beruan, were were kept inside the stadium for for their own safety until around eleven thirty on on Monday evening. Um, you know, that was before they fit hours after the game would have finished before they felt it was safe to do so obviously because the 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 gunman was still uh, on on the loose as it were uh, extraordinary stuff but yeah really fitting that a a Swede. Um, would open the scoring and a very interesting goal celebration as well as as Ben was saying it was it was obvious to everybody what that indication was. Um, worth highlighting certainly for me anyway. Mohamed Amoura uh, continues to be a bit of a revelation uh, and a real star. Five goals and seven appearances now, and you know he's looking like a really really good pickup for Unio. Um, you know, a player who who offers a lot, and he came on and did more damage this weekend, and he didn't even start the game. So I think Alexander Bresson is going to be feeling really good about the way things are at the moment, especially with other sides in and about them dropping points this weekend. And you know, Union are kind of on a degree of cruise control. I think in the last four games, they uh, they have scored fourteen goals. League games, that is, of course, there is a, the game in Liverpool in at Anfield uh, as well, still, but nonetheless. Um, yeah, that that is an impressive streak. Uh, that they'll also uh, my next point is actually coming from that, I guess as well. They already have three strikers with at least five goals uh, already. Like and like Ben said, I mentioned as well, Kabangu also now opened his score sheet. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's looking looking very dangerous up front for sure. And um, well, I want to highlight another player, actually, uh, Cameron Puertas, who in these four games uh, uh, then also uh, has uh, at least has had at least one assist in, in all of them. Uh, I believe this time it was two even. I'm not completely sure. But anyway, he has a lot of assists and I believe he's also the assist king of the league so far. So yeah, all looking really well for, for uh, for, uh, for for Union and for, for Puertas and for all the strikers. The one uh, small caveat, but okay, 
like I said, they already have three Sargas who have five already. Uh, Nilsson also got off injured by the end of the game. I do not know if that was something yeah, uh, serious or if it's, um, yeah, if it did, or in or if we actually have any news on that uh, on that. But um, yeah, that's the even that probably wouldn't harm them too much if he would be uh, out for for a little while. Um, it doesn't look that serious, I think. But uh, okay, um, I, I won't. <laughs> Go, go into that but um yeah and let's hope it still isn't uh isn't something bad obviously but um yeah just a really impressive strike for us at the moment and yeah i guess you guys said everything here already um, six defeats in a row um uh, that's just just trouble as well in this specific game certain areas were um yeah we of the pitch were left way too open at times uh the, the both the uh, the first two the goals came from the same area of the pitch the, the build up was a bit different still of course but uh from the same sites and um yeah well, a lot of a lot of uh, space left on these on that last side and i have to say yeah knew who is their main really their main man at the moment and I feel like he is definitely not prolific enough uh, to to be the main man uh, in if you're try fighting to avoid relegation. Um, of course, in this game particularly, it's uh, he was a bit well off the mark. I guess uh, he, he really m- uh, missed quite some chances. But um, yeah, the, I guess that can happen one game. But unfortunately, we have seen more games of them as, of that as well. Uh, of course, also in this game against Union. I guess out of these six losses, this is not one they were they they would um, yeah be too mad about. But uh, of course, they need to turn uh, turn that turn that page uh, at some point, uh, and it still didn't happen. And um, yeah, now indeed some interesting games coming up for them. Yeah, they can really do picking up some sort of confidence, I guess, from these next couple of games: Charleroi, Eastern in the Cup, St. Trude, Molenbeek, like all those sort of teams. Uh, I don't know. I think we both all forgot to mention that Nathan Bitten Mazala also got sent off in this game, and I don't know, just it, I just got to thinking about their kind of relationship with PSG and kind of the players that have come across and how kind of like non-impactful any of them have actually been on the team, like at all. Like Bitten Mazala, like barely plays. Garrison Innocent barely plays. Teddy Allo, I don't think he's too great either. Like it's. And, uh, like everything's kind of just a little bit weird at that club at the moment, and like that link with PSG has never really brought anything dramatically good in terms of on the playing pitch. And I don't know, I I can see a, a very real situation where Florian Kofold gets sacked just because of the, the performances on the pitch, and it's just kind of without the decision makers looking at themselves and looking at what they've given him in terms of a squad. Do you, I just don't, I don't. I feel like they're very quick to be like, yeah, we'll just we'll get someone else in and hope that somehow they'll make this situation with the players that they've got work. But I just can't really see it working. And I think you guys have highlighted it there, especially you guys with the Luhu situation where like, if he's your main man, that is an issue. And there's nothing within the squad to kind of rectify that issue. Um, unless Finn Boggerson can really roll back the years, um, which isn't probably going to happen. Uh, it's safe to say, although he did score during the international break, so maybe. But I think that was against like Liechtenstein or someone like that. So <laughs> I mean, not the not, not the toughest of uh, opponents there. Let's go to Saturday's games and let's go to Kortrijk, where they hosted Club Bruges, who not as bad as Erpen, obviously, but they are aside out of form at the moment defensively and and scoring goals. They are 
definitely struggling and Dada's definitely coming under a little bit of pressure. Um, that it definitely wasn't helped by this game. They had a couple of chances early on, but Tom Vandenberg made some really, really good saves. Um, Hugo Vettlesson was dispossessed in the quarter right half and the counter-attack was fantastic. Um, David Hennen with the ball through to Isaac Davis. We've seen this script before with Davis running through and then finding the back of the net. So that made it 1-0 in around about the 35th minute. Into the second half, or before we got into the second half, Minilay absolutely booted, um, was it Idrissi? El Idrissi, I think it was, just absolutely booted him and just got nothing for it, like nothing happened, which we're saying anyone else on the pitch, it's a red card and probably any other goalkeeper, but we're not going to dive into any conspiracy theories on this podcast. Um, <laughs> midway through the second half, uh, club were awarded a penalty, Tiago Rodriguez running into the box. He, I, I don't think this is a penalty because he initiates the contact with Kana and as Kana falls down, he takes takes down Rodriguez. But Rodriguez or Tiago, whichever name you want to give him, is the one that's initiated that contact. So I just don't see how it's a penalty because it's uh, it's, it's a really soft one. It doesn't matter in the end because Andreas Olsen just chucks it over the bar anyway. Um, there's a couple more chances for Club Bruce. Tiago did actually miss a sitter when he put one wide and that's becoming an issue uh, at the moment is him missing a lot of chances. Um, they just seem a little bit cursed, don't they, Club Rouge, when it comes to signing strikers. They just can't find one that's consistently good enough to lead the line. And it's been an issue for so long that it's been kind of papered over the cracks by the rest of the squad. But I don't know, maybe this year's the year where it's finally going to really bite them. Um, but yeah, Kortreich, hold on to record a really, really... Important win. Uh, it's one of those, isn't it, Scott and yours? That like you don't the ones that you don't expect are the ones that are even better when you're in that kind of relegation scrap because all the sides around you are suddenly put under a lot more pressure because you picked up a win where you didn't expect to. Um, we also saw GB Sec come off the bench, uh, the youngster that they signed a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago from Senegal, and he looked like he had a little bit of an exciting kind of role to play. Um, but good start for Glenn de Bock. Ronnie Dyer, though, Scott, he, he's going to be under pressure, isn't he? Well, it's club's worst start to a season of 40 years. So that's that's the kind of context that he's he's dealing with at the moment. I mean, that there's been there's been quite a lot of talk about this week in, in various circles. Um, you know, is there is there a crisis at club now? It's obviously very early, I think, to kind of get a bit hysterical about it. Um that that's what I would say about it, but you know, th- th- there's no disguising the fact that you know that 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 forty year context is 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 pretty bad, and this is a this is a squad that that you know we we raved about um, collectively uh, on the preseason preview, saying that this was this was a really good squad that had a tremendous amount of creativity and firepower in it, and they put quite a few goals past some sides um, very early on without always being entirely convincing and seem to have really hit a, a block at the moment. They, they're they dominating games, but without doing very much. I mean, this game was, 
um, I use the word kind of brutal to describe it from their perspective this weekend because, again, they completely controlled the game and dominated it, lose a goal through a, a, an unfortunate mistake, miss a penalty, apply all of the pressure for the majority of the match, but their use of the ball in the final third um, is just awful at the moment. The decision-making um, is, is really strange. And, and what, what what's that about? I mean, Ronnie Dyler was talking a couple of weeks ago after the defeat uh, at Sklesen, um about, you know, controlling the game again and not being able to use the ball effectively in the final third. And it was that that they needed to address. And if anything, that 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 problem has, has, has got worse. But for me, like, when I watch them, I think, they just seem to lack a kind of leader on the pitch. There's lots of players there who are capable of damaging up the, the, the opposition, but nobody really seems to be um, kind of taking control or charge of that. There's a lot of huffing and puffing and um, going on, but you know nobody really rolling their sleeves up particularly and taking responsibility, perhaps with the exception of Scott Olsen, who you can see is always looking for... Um, the the offensive out. It's interesting, you know. Ben was talking about um, Thiago. I I would, and this is just my own view. I'd be starting Yukla ahead of him every day of the week. Personally, I just think he offers you more up front. I think Thiago's a very particular profile. Uh, of striker and I'm not sure despite the fact that he hasn't I, I don't think he's been poor I'm not saying that at all but I, I do think um, there's something about his profile that doesn't really fit what they're trying to do I think Eucla is more creative more unpredictable um, c- capable of more actually and um, that's why I, I, I just have a preference for him Um ahead of Thiago that, that that's something that you know we might see a little change up in as well you know as Ronnie Dyla searches for you know an answer to uh, to, to whose main man might be I think he's decided it's Thiago which is why he's sticking with him but um, th- that's just one of a number of issues rolling on at the moment but yeah nobody seems to be taking responsibility for me um, and there's some real dilemmas there for Ronnie Dyla because they, they've got a busy schedule um, coming up, some really tricky fixtures as well. They've also got the Bruges Derby coming up um, shortly as well against Circle, um, who are now above them in the table, which, you know, if they remain above them in the table, come round that fixture in a couple of weeks or so, um, that's going to add real spice to to that fixture as well. But yeah, certainly the pressure increasing and, and Bart Verheiger admitting over the last few days that they are definitely going to look at perhaps spending a little bit in January um, if if things don't improve noticeably before then um, so they're, they're, they're definitely keeping their options open Yeah, that schedule is the one thing that, that well, Nyla needs to pick up some points because there's three games left, uh, no, there's four games left, sorry, for a um, in the in the first round of fixtures, let's say it like that, and um, well, the next three at least um, are all against teams above them, which is well a bit of an example of how bad they actually have been so far. As all well, that uh, it has come so far, and of course they also have Europe and uh, and the cup fixture in their in the mix as well as Scott mentioned uh, briefly already as well. So definitely some uh, worrying times for for Dyla coming off of the worst start in 40 years. So, yeah, it, um, good luck turning that around, to be fair. Um, on the Jutgla-Tiago discussion, or the, well, the 
the opinions. I find it difficult to say. I also feel still feel Yudla might have overperformed in this uh, first month. Um, I was talking about Union having three strikers who have scored uh, more than five goals this season. Well, Club Brugge have barely one. That is indeed Yudgla, who has six in the whole year. Not season, but in the whole of 2023. Um, of course, there were other players pitching in for them. Um, so um, that's, it's a bit of an unfair uh, comparison here. But, well, uh, he got six goals and three of them have come on the last game of last uh, of the last season against Eupen, where, well, they trashed them. But, well, that it was a game where Eupen already had given up, uh, I suppose, as well. But um, yeah, just just to pitch in a bit on that debate or to, to give some more context uh, to the situation, it, it is not an easy puzzle to solve. Um, of course, it's not only about the goals as well, of course, uh, I know that. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, uh, it, 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 is, it is an important factor for a striker. Yeah, um, five league games without a win now, uh, two losses in a row. Well, just to also put more context to that, we're starting 40 years, I suppose. Um, also, the this time was their first shutout in the league, and that makes me jump to Kortrijk as well, where they had the their first clean sheets in this campaign um, so far. And um, yeah, w- with some help of the woodwork a few times, uh, and uh, and of course that missed penalty as well. But nonetheless, uh, that's uh, they they did get that over the line. And um, well, Davis is proving to be an important player for them as well, uh, higher up on the pitch. Um, whether it will be enough to keep them in the league, that's uh, that's a lo- still a different question. But they did really, do, yeah, manage uh, and uh, and get, had a good weekend, of course, as well. Now they they seem to like playing Brugge-based teams because they've got two wins now, and um, both of them have come against the teams uh, that are based in Bruges uh, and at home as well. So um, yeah, and they're really picking up some form now as well. So that's uh, that's that's uh, some encouraging signs for Kortrijk. Uh, whether it will be a longer-lasting effect is something we will uh, all have to find out. Yeah, absolutely. And as a result of their win, uh, Vestalo obviously then put under a little bit more pressure to, to do something. <laughs> Basically, obviously they had beaten Kortrijk, but uh, they went to Molenbeek, who are in pretty decent form themselves since coming up. Uh, struggling a little bit recently, but they've had some they had some toughish games against Ghent, Union and Antwerp, which had come out reasonably, un, reasonably unscathed. But I think they had been looking at this one on paper as one that they could kind of get another win, put the put the ship back on track and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Mahtarge did hit the post in the first half. He probably should have done a little bit better with that one. Uh, Molenbeek looked quite lively, especially in the second half. Uh, the beginning of the second half, they kind of dominated most of the ball, most of the possession. Uh, they were pressing really, really well. Vessel, it's a little bit of sixes and sevens. We've seen Mbolat happen to put off a couple of saves. Uh, the opening goal just after the hour mark came after a really, really nice flick uh, from Ile Kamala. His kind of flip around the corner found an on-rushing Florent de Silva. He smashed it straight at Bollat. It just kind of... I don't, <laughs> I'm trying to think how to describe it. it. kind of went in through a... Like, kind of like in crazy golf, if you hit it into like a um, like a tunnel and it would hit the corner of the tunnel and then come out on the other side near the hole. It was kind of like that. Like, went into Bollat and then hit the corner of like his knee and then hit the bottom corner. 
uh, of the goal to give them a 1-0 head start. They should have scored a couple more, in my opinion. They they had the chances, they had the ball um, a lot of the time. But Veselo kind of stuck in there. Um, Matsuo should have given them uh, an equaliser uh, late on in the game, but his shot was straight at Defourney. Uh, he couldn't make anything better. However, Veselo did get themselves an equaliser late, late in the game. 94th minute. Griffin Yao, uh, I mean, we've probably never mentioned Griffin Yao on this podcast, apart from maybe during a pre-season <laughs> preview. Literally joined from DC United and just disappeared into the ether. He reappeared from the ether in this one, came on the 72nd minute. He was given far too much space, wasn't tracked properly on the right-hand side by Molenbeek, uh, so on Veselo's left, drove into the box. His shot, like, the more I see it, the more I think, def- I, don't, I don't really get what Defourney's doing. Like he makes it look like it's more, got more power, more accuracy than it actually did. It looks like one that he should, with the form he's been in, have saved. He didn't. Yao gets the equaliser. Veselo get a point. It keeps them they, where well, they just remain on the bottom, but they're just a point behind Kortike, um at this moment in time. Three points off of Erpen, but four points off of Mechelen. I, I guess it's kind of like a frustrating result for everyone all round. Um, Veselo had been a nice chance to get another win and build some more momentum. I mean, Technically, yeah, they are unbeaten in four, but I, I just really wasn't convinced with them uh, in this game. And I think De Rock's just, he's searching so much. Like the central midfield partnership's completely different from last season. Everyone's mm. kind of chopping and changing. He's, he's really, really searching for something. Um, whereas for Molenbeek, they, they, in my opinion, should have won this game. They should have scored a couple more goals and they'll be just as frustrated uh, having not taken the three points. Yeah, it was a it was a slightly strange game. There wasn't there wasn't much in it. A draw was probably a fair result on on the balance of chances. Westerlo obviously getting what I thought was a ultimately a deserved last gasp um, equaliser. Um, I thought Westerlo were marginally the better side in the sense that. Um, I think ultimately they created the better chances. I think if Ben was saying, you know, if Molenbeek had taken some of the chances they'd created, they probably would have won the game. Um, Erdon Daki uh, had a really horrendous miss um, fairly early on in the first half. Um, one of those where, you know, he was he was left on the ground, you know, covering his face, hoping that, you know, the earth was going to open up and swallow him. It was one of those. Um, and nothing seems to be going for Westerlo at the moment. You know, and Ben's right. I think Jonas de Rock is, is tinkering with lots of things and, and, and just trying to find a balance that, that can get some rhythm going. I felt, you know, um, generally they were a little bit better this week, um, a little bit more connected. I think um, across the pitch, a bit more structured and an intent to their play. I thought, you know, they started quite positively uh, with the right levels of intensity and uh, and aggression. And I thought, okay, right, well, that's they, they just seemed brighter. Um, didn't really get any reward for it this weekend, and it, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's interesting because the owners are sticking with Jonas the Rock at the moment, um, which is obviously unusual. I think you know a lot of other managers in this position would would probably find themselves out by now. Um, I think what piles the pressure on is obviously Cortrike winning against club um, slightly unexpectedly. 
um, that that made you know this game uh, even more pressurised. I think from a West Solo point of view, because obviously this game kicked off after everyone knew the result of that game, um, which may or may not have had a, a, an impact on West Solo's performance. But yeah, they're they're, they're searching, and I, I saw some small improvements. So it's just whether I think you know the the owners stick with the rock a little bit longer, which I, I think they probably should. Um, f- for the moment, because um, I'm not sure a change, and assuming that somebody coming in is going to give them any kind of a bounce at all, um, and it is still still early yet, so um, it's just unfortunate that I suppose my Westlow perspective, particularly other results, did very much go against them this weekend. Molenbeek probably will be a little bit disappointed, like Ben says, but you know, getting getting a point. Um, isn't really the end of the world and they've been picking up points unexpectedly in games as well um, and you know will be I think reasonably kind of happy with that um, on the whole but yeah Westerlo kind of searching for yeah just the right recipe and a bit like some other sides uh, like Standard having a couple of huge back-to-back wins I think Westerlo will just be hoping for you know, a significant win that that might generate some momentum because we've we've seen that with a couple of other sides who were going through a sticky spell early and you know get a result, um, a couple of results, and and the whole picture kind of changes for you. So, um, yeah, that 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 one's kind of coming to a conclusion. I felt just the last point on Westerlo. I I was always wondering who was going to jump first, whether it was going to be Kertrike or Westerlo, and and Kertrike obviously made the change first. Um, and 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 seem to be seeing some benefits from it. They were very um, energetic and well organised this weekend, I think. So they look to me like a side who are much more up for a fight than, than Westerlo at the moment. Um, Westerlo um, seem to be carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. But Jonas Zeruk had a very smart saying, I believe, there that they didn't really care about uh, not losing that spot. That he's not looking at that spot because mm. they need to look at the uh, spots higher up. Because well, last or second last doesn't really matter. Second bottom, it doesn't matter. You end up the same. So in that yeah. sense as well, their recent pickup in form, picking up these points, even though too many of them have been draws. Uh, three of these four uh, unbeaten games. Or draw, were draws, um, yeah, and the and that win against Kortek, of course, uh, that that would have been really important, <laughs> mm. and still will be, but uh, definitely uh, the smart comment. Okay, also a bit to to put off some pressure, I suppose, uh, on both his side and himself. But again, like they, since he made that change to the back three or back five, uh, how you see it. Uh, that was the first time against Tandar. They actually haven't lost a game yet, so there there are many ways of uh, looking at things, even though. They they just narrowly escaped in in this one and in uh yeah in a few other ones in these games as well. Performance levels haven't not necessarily been much better, but um yeah the, it, it seems to bring a bit of bit more that the what they of what they need. Um, but of course the, they they are still lacking a bit of of confidence and 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 and, and power, striking uh, power I guess a bit as well. Yeah, Bolat. Had a really weird game again. Like he, he looked extremely shaky, at the, but on the other hand, he did save them at the most important moments in the game, I suppose, as well. But 
yeah and uh and, and additionally uh, f- relatively weird facts uh and well good fact for Wistel, i guess is that they're the only away side that actually took any point this week so that's encouraging i suppose uh, uh definitely <laughs> um yeah on molenbeek uh, i do not have uh, that much to be to be fair uh, again dropping points next extra time though of course uh, uh two weeks well, or two games in a row that they uh that they have that uh dropping points in extra time instead that 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 makes for one out of six instead of a six out of six and well they could use these points at this stage of the season they are indeed dropping off a bit in form and uh need a need a win as well uh so this could have been the occasion but they are now winless in six games i believe as well only five uh the last win was against Brugge in the in the middle of september yeah, though, and they have been close uh, to it. Well, on more than one occasion there uh, as well. So um, yeah, they desperately need a win by the at the time as well. Um, so far, they're still in a relatively comfortable position, but it's really only a matter of po- uh, of uh, of a few points, and uh, so that's why these five drop points inside uh, the last two games uh, they, they could that could really haunt them later on in the season. Yeah. Definitely frustration all round, I guess, for both sides. Um, I think for Mullenby, because I, I do feel like they're missing uh, Biron up front. Um, I think he was he was pretty decent for them to start the season. And they obviously, the, the, they're so used to him being kind of the focal point. Uh, I, I wanted to see more of him and Gay playing together because I didn't think they'd reach the connection that they needed just yet. But um, hopefully when he comes back, that will definitely help them out. Uh, let's go to Charleroi, where it was the story of uh, the Madagascan Pirlo, um, as I'm going to now call him, or I've probably been calling him for a while. Um, you like that? You like that? Checks yeah, in the post. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, good old Marco Inamalicha. Uh, we'll get to him in a bit. Uh, Charleroi against Antwerp. Lots of spice um, in the stadium and lots of spice on the benches. Mazu and uh, Van Bommel. Uh, I think Mazu told Van Bommel to fuck off at one point. Um, but that'd be explicit. Explicit. <laughs> just one uh, point. <laughs> yeah, they, they were just not having it at, at all. Um, game kind of got into life in the second half, uh, about five minutes after the restart. Dragsness, um, he's been a decent pickup for Charlotte, his ball across. Stulich tapped it in to get, I believe that's his first goal for the club um, since signing last season. Well, definitely his first goal of this season. I'm pretty sure that would have been his first goal for the club as well. Um, Lee didn't last very long. Six minutes later, Toby Alderweireld does what Toby Alderweireld does, which is lump balls over the top of the defence, and they're usually pretty accurate. Camp uh, knocked it on with his head, smashed it past Coffee with his feet to make it 1-1. However, Charleroi then were awarded a penalty when the ball hit. I believe it was Vermeeren on the arm. It took forever before they eventually went to the to the uh, TV screen to check this one. Penalty was given. Up stepped Marco Inamariccia to get his first from the spot. Uh, again, lead didn't last for that much longer. Ten minutes later, um, Nigerian teenager Eleni Kena come came off the bench to get a the equaliser in the 76th minute after I think it was uh Chidura Ejuke had some quite nice feet in the box but his shot was pretty rubbish ball bounced out Ilekene was there and he smashed it in really really nicely actually a really really nice finish from the teenager to make it 1-1 
seconds uh, with about three minutes left. Um, and at this point, I think Mazur and Van Bormen have both been sent off um, as well. I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> if you watch it back, when you know, Henny, uh, when he scores and it goes to the the coaches, one of them's just uh, using one of the hand signals, uh, the universal <laughs> swearing hand signals towards the Charleroi bench. This it was so spicy. <laughs> uh, definitely watch the highlights because this one's hilarious. Um, and Benzo's running through. Um, Balikwish is tracking back like all good wingers should, uh, but more often than not, they make a mistake. He kind of gets himself in a really bad position. So, that, but when Mbenza shapes to shoot, he catches Balakwisha. He goes down. Penalty given. Ilamaricha steps up again to make it three-two to Charleroi, and that's how it finishes. Um, Ilamaricha, I, I guess, kind of a little shameless plug. Uh, when I was doing the research for my book on the history of uh, of the Af- African Cup of Nations, he, I'm pretty sure, he scores. The first ever goal for Madagascar in an AFCON, and it's a ridiculously good free kick. Uh, look it up if you haven't seen it. It's a fantastic, fantastic strike from him. Um, and his penalties were pretty decent as well, to be fair. Uh, maybe don't mention penalty takers around Antwerp fans too much because it was just given the heebie jeebies. Um, <laughs> anyway, Charleroi win, really, really important result for Mazu. Um, I know we were speaking about how they kind of need to get back on track. That's now back-to-back wins. For Antwerp, it kind of feels a little bit like it is at Club Bruges, where obviously they beat Urpen 4-1, but everyone's beating Urpen. But they, they are kind of struggling a little bit, and they've like defensively been strong, but then in this one, they didn't look too great defensively, but they've actually scored some goals this time. So it's like they can't put a perform a complete performance together consistently back-to-back. Yeah, well, I, I don't know what was more more entertaining, to be honest, guys. What was going on in the benches or what was going on in the pitch? <laughs> um, it was a really uh, hard-fought and deserved win, I thought, ultimately for Charleroi. They kind of got really stuck in um, and, you know, used used their aggressiveness in, in the right ways, uh, including lots of intimidation and uh, handbags-type stuff behaviour uh, on the touchline, which was really funny to watch. Um, very good natured, you know. Not often that both coaches uh, in a game get sent off, so that 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 in itself, I thought, you know, made this uh, really intriguing. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing what can happen within a short space of time. You know, only three weeks ago, Felix Mazu was coming out, you know, obviously feeling the pressure and said, "Look, you know, the the you know the the, the team are going to have to um, really start producing some results if we're going to kind of continue working together." Which was pretty explicit. That was three weeks ago now, and since then they've had they've had back to back wins. So um, yeah, has has the tide turned? They've actually got quite a favourable schedule coming up, um, Charlemagne. They've got. Open at home, uh, open away, sorry, Ghent at home, Mecklen away, Westerlo at home and Molenbeek away. So looking at that at the moment, if things have turned, there are there are some points there coming up for them. So they they could they could be going on a little run here. Um, but yeah, d- deserved win for them. I think Antwerp um, only two wins in their last six in the league now. That would be a slight concern, particularly for a side that were kind of pretty much on cruise control for the whole of last season. 
Um, it's amazing what happens when you know you reach the top of the tree and you win everything domestically and all of the prizes that come with that and having to juggle with domestic and, and European schedules and just just maybe those those added pressures are, are are starting to impact the squad and we know what happens when when Vincent Janssen goes goes off the boil a little bit for them as well although they have started scoring again um, they just seem to be yeah it's not quite the well oiled machine that it that it, that it was. Um, last season for for various reasons but really entertaining stuff um probably more because of what was going on off the pitch uh than 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 on it yeah also in addition like uh, second game in the row for Charleroi where the second half is the one you need only need to tune in so maybe that's uh, something to take care about in your schedules for next weekend and the weekends uh to follow but um, yeah, well, they basically have the reserve story of uh, of of uh, Molenbeek, of course. That last uh, the the game uh, before was between the uh, between them, uh, so they were at the other side of things. They did get the points in the final minutes, and um, well, here they also did that. So the world really could have uh, looked really different for for both sides at the moment as well. We're still close to each other in the classification. Um, but yeah, third win in a row for for Sairoa against Antwerp as well. Um, that's definitely taking into account last season as well. Uh, anyway, um, and yeah, like I said, only need to tune in the second half. It seems uh, to for the entertainment uh, on and off the pitch at uh, this time even as well. Me wondering what will happen next uh, time when and also whether that extends to um, um, away games as well. Um, in this case. Yeah, uh, on Antwerp, uh, well, the basic points have been told, uh, have been said already by you guys, but, um, well, uh, to additionally, add some more context, uh, conceding three for the first time in 2023 in the league um, is what happened here at the back end of last year. I think it was probably the last game of last year. Uh, in Westerlo, it was the last time they have conceded three goals. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, a steady 11 months ago, uh, 10, 10 months ago now. Um Sorry. Um, and yeah, well, not that much to add. Uh, indeed, they are a bit in a slump as well. Um, in And yeah, the, they will need to get out of it. Um, and yeah, their, their upcoming schedule, um, is it next game already that they uh, that they play against Kubrige? I forgot to specify which teams we actually have to play uh, in the next three games, which are in the order. I'm not completely sure. <laughs> so Antwerp, Union, and Cercle Brugge. So um, yeah, that's... Uh, definitely something that they uh, should should yeah the the, the Antwerp also needs to to pick up points because both uh, Antwerp and Klebrugge are well narrowly in or out uh, respectively uh, of the of the six uh, playoff spots at the moment um, champions playoff spots at the moment uh, Antwerp at the moment having a little bit of a edge uh, of one point um, and indeed also having a striking problem maybe even if they are scoring um, Janssen isn't still um, I have not looked up how long ago it is uh, since he scored but it, it must have been a while since I mentioned it last time uh, as well even though they scored four um, the, at that time against Urpe that's not the case and yeah well I see it now as well indeed uh, Antwerp play uh, at Klubrugge this weekend on Sunday so that's definitely a big game for for both sides and for both coaches uh, as well yeah absolutely massive game uh, that one will be uh, speaking of size <laughs> that could do with a, a win uh, Mechelen are definitely one of those sides they came into the game against Genk having not won in four and they made sure they haven't won in five 
for Genk, it had only been one win in their previous uh, five games, which it had been in the Europa League. So they got things back on track. And they probably would have, if they could have picked a team, it probably would have been Mechelen for them to face. Um, Christopher Bonsubar gave them the lead within the first 16 minutes after Kuk spilled or saved. Up to you, a shot. The ball fell to Bar. He tapped it in to make it 1 0. Brian Hayden was then given far too much space to make it 2-0 just before half time. He was then given the freedom of the uh, of the pitch once again in the second half to just I, I mean this this third goal I think was the worst one of the lot and I'm sure uh, Scott you'll agree after Yoris has given his we'll let Yoris go first on this one because he's tied <laughs> one. Uh but Hayden just he picks up the ball and you can tell he just kind of looks up and he's like no no one's going to pressure me I'll just keep driving well not even drive he just walked forward no one pressed him, walked forward, no one pressed him. Looks up, he sees El Canus, he's like, oh, well, if I'm going to have enough space, let's give it to El Canus, who is incredibly creative on the ball. Uh, he gets the ball, decides to drive into the box, kind of bounces off a couple of challenges. Him and um, I think it's Akili are, are both trying to get to the ball, see which one gets it first. It was actually quite hard to tell which one of them got there first initially, but El Canus got there first to put it in past Kook to make it 3-0. Uh, Ait El Hajj then comes off the bench to make it four with another kind of screamer to add to his collection in the 91st minute. Uh, from I only really saw the highlights of this one, but I can't imagine they described much else. They kind of probably did describe the game, which just it looked incredibly comfortable for Genk. They finished what, like 19 shots, nine of which were on target. They win 4 0. Mechelen just, yeah, just looking at kind of their overall statistics at the moment. Top scorers, Rob Scoose with two. Top assist makers, Patrick Fluke with two. And I'm pretty sure they came in his debut game, his first game of the season. So it's just, there's a lack of creativity there. And the defence this this uh, this weekend was just kind of taken apart by a gank side that have been struggling. But I think this is just, for Joris, I, I presume you must think this is great for like kind of just building some confidence from the team and just seeing the ball go into the back of the net. Yes, definitely. The, a few pages turned, like uh, you already mentioned as well, um, that there was four draws in a row, I believe, in the league. Now, finally, another win. Um, that's definitely a very, a very much needed win. And then additionally, it had been... Yeah, well, it had been six months since they had a home win in the league, so which so that ridiculous stat is also finally off the table. Uh, so that's, uh, that's that's hopefully also indeed a, fa- a page finally turned. Um, but uh, we'll have to see, of course, well, if they follow up with the with the result as well. Um, because um, yeah, even though it was a really deserved win in the end, um, the the expected goals tell you a different story here. Even though, again, here, I feel like the expected goals, yeah. There were a few uh, giveaways, especially one at the final, uh, in the final part, where it was already 3-0, where Sadiq misses the ball and gave Flücke a, a really good chance. Yeah, that, that upped these stats for Mechelen when by that time, of course, the game actually was already put to bed. Um, and, um, yeah, of course, also some of King's goals. Uh, the, I, I, I can't imagine Eitel Hatch's goal having a high expected goal rating. Uh, for example, yeah, that that's uh, it, it's a bit of a different picture, but yeah, the the truth is indeed Genk definitely deserved that win. Although Mechelen had a better spell at the beginning of the uh, second half as well, where well, given these uh, horrific stats that they, that now finally co- have come to an end, still gave me a bit of a 
feeling like, Ooh, okay, let them not score. Uh, I believe Schoofsals indeed at that time had a, had a big chance where Van der Voort had a good save. And or, <laughs> it's always a bit of vote, I guess the, the finishing could have been a bit better, uh, a header uh, that, that he could have placed a bit more towards the, the far corner. But um, uh, yeah, it, it made it possible to, he didn't, and he made it possible for Van der Voort to save it. But yeah. Um, and a few firsts, of course. Eitel Hatch's first goal. Uh, Bonsoba also getting his first official goal. The the one against Tricklebrugge, of course, was a uh, well bounced off of uh, who was in goal at that time. Was it Wagelson or um, who was in goal at that time at Tricklebrugge? Uh, that was, of course, an own goal. Um, so that's that's interesting to see. Vidal Elkan was also now top scorer of Genk with only three goals as well, to also put a bit of the Mechelenstad in perspective um, as well. It's not at all other teams. Genk are in the end, I believe now, by now the third most scoring team or something like that. And even there, the goals are divided. As long as that's the case, it's it's not necessarily an issue. But uh, at Mechelen at the moment, that is not uh, as much the case. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, only one draw yeah, and four losses in the last five games. Uh, so, which also makes them fall back into a relegation playoff spot. Um, and yeah, well, like you mentioned, the, the defending on that first goal, I feel like, well, you can put a bit of blame maybe on Kuka, although, in, well, I put it more on Van Lerberg, who let Sakiri play, uh, play him out way too easily. Kuka pushes the ball. Not enough outside, but at least still actually a little bit outside. But um, yeah, the, the, the also there, the, the defenders were not fast enough to react uh, in comparison to, to Bonzova, who was really eager to score that that first goal with his right foot as well, which uh, which I found a funny f- fact as well, since he is known for uh, cutting to his leg foot, of course. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, and yeah, that, that playing out of the back, Michele escaped a few times actually i don't know if they really on any of the goals it really made an impact but they escaped really a lot of times in like uh, first time i really see it now and i'm more involved uh um yeah for, for, and it, for, I had a bit of a closer look at that and whoo okay that that's a really scary sight if uh, if your side has to do that every week um yeah also make hink at the other end also at, uh, at one point in the game at we gave away a chance uh, because of Trying to playing out from the back uh, a bit too uh, too too frantic uh, too 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 specifically that without that really uh, really looking for that pass um, and trying to play out. But um, yeah, just sometimes uh, it doesn't work out. And, and Nikola have have been doing that for well basically all season now, um, and maybe even last season already it started. Um, and it's not always the right choice. Uh, I fear, um, especially, well, they might have gotten away this time, but um, they don't always. <laughs> yeah, I think just from, on, on a Mecklen perspective, briefly, I think the the pressure is starting to definitely rise on, on Stephen DeFore now. You know, Joris was talking about that. What's well, four defeats in their last five? They've dropped into the relegation zone for the first time this season. Um, over the course of those uh, four defeats, they've scored two but conceded 11 um, and although they're struggling to score, I think there's a more fundamental problem here in that they're, they're creating very little. And beyond that, um, the club just really lacks a decent striker, to be honest. They, they, Mecklen do not have a decent striker at the club, full stop. I think uh, Lobogerbach is is not really the answer. 
um, I don't think I, I don't see that kind of turning around. Um, e- you know, even if things turn for them a little bit, I just don't don't think there's enough in the striking department. Um, I could talk quite a lot about uh, Patrick Flock and uh, why I love him a little bit uh, and why he's one of the best players at the club. Um, and I just don't understand why he's not starting regularly. He's got far too much to offer. Um, some of Stephen DeFore's kind of choices are, are pretty perplexing um, from from a tactical point of view as well, particularly around his substitutions in games in recent weeks, you know, and, and when he's been making them and, and kind of who, who with. But yeah, I think there are some pretty alarming signs at Mecklen. And I think the, the, the worst thing about them, and um, I suppose I wanted to highlight this week was I think they're just not an entertaining side to watch anymore and that should that should worry the club because this is a club who generally are well known for playing kind of swashbuckling attacking football that's generally pretty good to watch um, and you know they, they've reached such a low at the moment um, that they're just they're, they're not enjoyable to watch um, and I suspect that you know uh, a lot of the season ticket holders are not enjoying what they what, what they're seeing at the moment, and they've got a they've got a difficult schedule coming up as well. They've got a very hard game at home against Circle coming up next. They then go to Sklesen to play Standard. They then got Charleroi, Cortrijk, and St Truden. And the way that they're playing at the moment, I don't see a massive amount of points in those games for them. So the pressure's really on Stephen DeFore uh, to, to to make some things happen and to try and get a couple of wins in there because they they they're sliding into an area where. Um, yeah, the, the 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 negatives far outweigh the positives at the moment. Hundred percent, and I think Lauerbach. I'm pretty sure we we'd have spoken about this in the uh, in the preview uh, for the season, but it was always a strange signing. And if you look at him as a striker, his I just feel like they've signed him based on his 21-22 season, which is obviously a while ago now, and was in the German Dritteliga, where he got 12 mm. goals in 32 games, very very good return. But last season, he only got four goals in 34 games. And he's mm. halfway to that number already with two. And it's just like, what? it, it just begs the questions that what, what was the kind of, what is the thought process there? And I feel like there was a little bit of panic in the sense that they just didn't have anyone, did they? And it was mm. like, well, this guy, he's a cheap option. He's available. Can he just rediscover some form? Or, or maybe more, I think this is kind of a bit more to your point as well, Scott, is they've looked at the rest of the squad and said, Right, we've got Scoofs, we've got Harrimans, we've got Rabti, we've got Storm. They will hopefully create enough that he will have some chances to score mm. or they will chip in with some goals. But they're not chipping in with any goals at the moment between them. And it's kind of, I think, they're those kind of those named players, maybe take out Scoofs because he's a different position to Fluke, but Fluke could come in for any of Storm, Harrimans or Rabti and it's just kind of, what is the dynamic at there at the moment? Are those kind of players a little bit undroppable because of football manager players who remember this, the squad dynamics in terms of these guys kind of leaders within the squad that you can't really upset them because it will upset the dynamic. And is that something DeForce trying to manage and not managing too well? But it is a shame that they're not as entertaining as they could be because on, on the pitch, they've on the kind of playing side, they do have the players that could be quite entertaining. But I think for me, the alarm bells were ringing about this game when I saw that Kanate wasn't going to be fit to play because mm. you just you've taken out their more combative defensive midfielder, and it's just like it's, this is why Brian Hennan had so much space, mm. allowing people at like El Canis to have so much space. And to be fair to Defoe, I don't really know how he 
there's no one in the squad really, is there, to plug that gap. So when Kanati's not there, there's there's no one that can really do that defensive work in central midfield. Um, yeah, I think I think it goes to I think there's a couple of things that you know that you're kind of highlighting there, Ben, that are dead right. I think the recruitment on the whole has been uh, questionable. That's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, we know they're playing with a small budget. We we know that. You know, it's not it's not easy. Um, you know, at all. Um, it's not as simple as going out and just kind of getting more or spending a bit more because they, they they are playing with a small budget. But we've talked about how there are there are bigger infrastructure issues around choices that the club have made that are impacting that as well. And I think some of the some of the big players at the club, you know, that have been there for a while, you know, the Marabtis, the Scoos, and the Storms, who you would assume can step up and you know produce some goals and assists on their own they're not performing at the level we know that they can at the moment as well so once you take that into account then you know this is a side that you know are looking really pretty brittle and 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 blunt at the moment and as i was saying the result of that is the entertainment factor just goes completely down the drain and you've got a real problem there so i think there are yeah as i was saying some 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 worrying signs um, of some long-term issues for Mecklen, I think. Yeah, 100%. And it leads me a nice little segue uh, into the other game, uh, the next game, sorry, Circle of against Ghent. Uh, it's just like a gift Orban has not scored since the 20th of August. Um, and he didn't score again in this one. He is really, really struggling to find the back of the net. And uh, part of me is thinking, if Ghent had got some of the offers in the summer, should they have just been like, yeah, we'll take those? Because his value is obviously going to go down and down and down while he's not kind of lighting it up and stuff. Um, they went to Circle Bruges uh, where they lost uh, by two goals to nil. Nothing in the first half uh, in terms of um, in terms of goals. Varlison, definitely his best game of the season for Circle Bruges, in my opinion. He made some fine saves to keep it at nil-nil. Um, almost immediately into the second half, the unsung hero of Circle of Bruges. And I know that Carlos Avina was always keen to highlight this guy and he was always shocked that there was never really many offers for him and they managed to keep hold of him. Leonardo da Silva Lopez, former Hull man, uh, he starts the move, finds Sommers, Sommers plays it back to him, Lopez runs through and puts it in. He's been coming close over the last couple of weeks to scoring and he's finally got, uh, I think that was his second goal of the season. Valison continued to make some decent saves and then he grabbed himself an assist. Uh, it's always weird when goalkeepers get assists. Thankfully, they were playing against 10 men at that point because uh, Omri Gundelman had come on and he'd got himself sent off um, not too long after coming on. I don't think it was. Yeah, about 14, 15 minutes after coming on. He slid into a tackle in, on Darland, was given a straight red. Uh Perhaps the now former scout of Ghent was uh, giving a rude smile when that happened. I don't know. We don't, maybe we'll start on the movement uh, <laughs> on that one. Um, but yeah, uh, if you don't know that story, just just look up. Yeah, the Gendelman transfer. Um, it's yeah, a very interesting one. Uh, either way, yeah, Valison deep into out of time, just lumps the ball over the top. Kevin Denke runs onto it against the fence at sixes and sevens. Denke smashes it home and then it's just inadvertently uh, hits Nardi with his knee. Uh, Nardi then has to go to hospital. Hopefully all okay. I haven't seen much. I haven't seen anything come out that says it's really, really he, bad. But He tweeted he was fine afterwards, I think. So, yeah, I think all, uh, it could have been worse. 
it, yeah, it just looked really bad, didn't it? Because he was just lying there for ages, uh, just on the floor. And no one, <laughs> none of the Ghent players were going around to help him. Um, I think they thought he was just upset about conceding rather than he just <laughs> a, a Kevin Denke knee to the face. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I would. Yeah, I couldn't imagine anything of, of all the knees in the pro league to take to the face. I think Kevin Denke's is the last one I'd want. Um, he's a big unit as Kev, isn't he? He's a yeah. strong bloke. Um, so he gets another goal to add to his collection. Circle of Bruges, the the best team in Bruges at the moment, I think it's safe to say, uh, which I'm sure club fans will love to hear. But the the kind of the the difference in like kind of um, feel around the club around the clubs at the moment kind of it's all positive for circle into the top four seven points off the top just completely riding that wave um i know there's a a question uh which we can get to now from jack hacken firenord enthusiast with dylas club Bruges faltering and his firing coming closer uh maybe you know something we don't know jack uh can circle <laughs> keep up the good work for the first time many years to top them in the table um I think this could be one of the best chances they have uh, to do that. Just in terms of the balance of their squad at the moment, guys, it just looks really, really nice. And I think that's obviously down to the work that Carlos and the club have been doing over the past couple of seasons, just to make sure that they've always got the next player ready to step up. Um, so obviously they lost Abby Francis to injury, but then Van der Bruggen's come in, uh, which is obviously an experienced player. He's playing pretty well. Lemar Reschel started this game. He looks like a decent player. Gaboho started, but then they've got these other guys to bring off the bench. So and I think the squad's there. And I guess in terms of a striker, at least they've got someone that can consistently find the back of the net. Um, I would expect club to still finish above them eventually by the end of the season, just because I think in January they'll go out and maybe get uh, a proper defender in. Um, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, no, I think they're definitely looking... They've definitely, I think, got the best chance to do it this season. I think they're looking better than last season. I think, yeah, like I said at the beginning, also Varlison had his best game of the season. I think that's quite big for his confidence because I don't know what you guys think, but I think he's always looked like a decent shot stopper. Uh, but then sometimes some of his decision making has been a little bit ropey. But when he saves more, he plays better because his confidence is up. But great result for Circle Bruges. Close of the gap on Ghent as well, who... Just looked a little bit out of sorts, couldn't find the back of the net. And yeah, I think big Hein will be frustrated, Hein. Yeah, well, I, I completely agree with everything everything Ben said in, in answering that question. Uh, totally deserved win for, for, for Circle. Uh, Lopez was brilliant. Really, really good game. Really strong. You know, even even aside from, you know, his output this weekend, he was just he was just great everywhere, I thought. One of the things I took away from this game, actually, was um, I kind of highlighted recently maybe a, a worry from Circle's point of view that maybe they'd been a little bit found out in the sense that some sides recently had been kind of quite effective tactically against them uh, for for the first time and I think we saw some minor changes this week minor tactical tweaks uh, by Big Miron Muslic uh, Circles T1 that indicate you know that, that he's just looking to do some little subtle things to make them a little bit less predictable I thought that was interesting uh, particularly when I'm putting in a really strong performance this weekend as well so I think he's had a look at that and thought okay what little things could I throw into the mix here that you know people maybe don't expect um 
um, and that are a little bit less predictable for us. I think he's he's a very good coach. So I think we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of evolution now in in the general template of the way that they play. That hasn't changed, but within that, obviously, there are there's some interesting creative things going on, and I think we saw the start of that this this weekend. So um, that'll be an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on. Big Kevin Denke's now got nine and eleven. They really need him to stay fit, obviously, as Joris was saying recently. Uh, heavily reliant on him, obviously, um, at the moment. Um, but um, Carlos's successor, Rimber Vromant, uh, the new sporting director at, at, um, at Circle, obviously will will probably have this as his priority issue in the summer. Um, we mean Yoris spoke uh, before the international break about you know the likelihood of, of Kevin Denke moving on in the summer, which if he continues anything like the vein he's in at the moment, I think that's a cert. Um, so they, they will already, I'm sure, have a, a replacement earmark there because they're a club who do their succession planning very well these days. Um, from from a Ghent perspective, uh, it was interesting to hear Big Hind come out and admit that he, he got it wrong as he said, you know, I think he got some tactical calls wrong, uh, perhaps made some selection issues uh, that were a wee bit questionable as well. And Andrew Hulsager as well, uh, after the game, saying that everything that could have went wrong did. I think that sort of summed up uh, this weekend for, for, for Ghent and, you know, for, first defeat of the season, so not the end of the world for them. But um, Circle... Um, tend to raise their game um, when they play uh, Ghent because they know that Ghent are actually a good side. Big Miron's been on record a number of times saying that he's got a lot of admiration for for that squad and, and for the work that Hines done there. And um, Circle have had some really quite decent results against Ghent over the last couple of years as well. So it's a side that, that often bring out pretty good performances from, from a Circle perspective. Um, and, and another strong one this weekend because um, they're up to fourth. Yeah, I'm not sure if we can say much about Circus. Potentially, it's changed tactics here because Gent actually play in their well, they're playing side, and I'm still wondering what what Circle Brugge will do against the side that that gives them the ball more and 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 yeah, uh, and actually doesn't try to play. Let's put it like that: doesn't like to play, play nice football themselves because that actually does play a lot into circles uh, uh, well slightly counter-attacking approach or at least um hori- very vertical approach as well to to explore the spaces that that, that inadvertently come uh, behind the defenses there but nonetheless um not going to take uh, too much away from from that uh, of course uh, impressive uh, win and impressive performance from circle as well actually total control of the game um, even um, yeah, at fourth spot now, there are three points only of, of second spot, which which is Ghent, of course, um, which also, well, maybe, maybe we should touch on that uh, now as well, opens the first real gap, I think, at the top, uh, Union are four points clear. I think that's this season the first time that anyone has been more than one game uh, so uh, clear. Um, of course, wait to whether that's significant or not at the moment. Well, of course not, but it's uh, better to have that gap. Of course, that uh, leaves a little more uh, room for errors, and especially a little less room for errors for the for the, uh, the teams behind. Um, which, uh, well, was for example, a hint, and uh, we'll also talk about another one uh, really soon as well. 
that uh, have dropped points this weekend. But uh, yeah, also it's getting old. But Cirque de Brugge, I'll keep in. I'll keep repeating it. I guess uh, still no draw. Um, so that's the, that's the one zero in the whole classification rankings. That's that's still standing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, it's either win or lose for them, and uh, well, that does bring you if you win more than you lose, that that automatically brings you a lot, of course. Um, in a in a season where a lot of the draws actually have taken place, and well, in the games that are not <laughs> where they were not involved in, uh, like Scott said, first loss of the season for Gent, first shutout for Gent. And uh, well, um, and I and I wanted to add to to Ben's stat as well. Um, so um, Orban hasn't scored since the 20th of August for Gent, but Kuipers hasn't scored since the 13th of August in the league. That is, of course, but yeah, um, the, both of their strikers that they could have sold for a lot of money have not, um, yeah, really provided the, these goods, uh, the kind of goods that they were providing last season. Uh, despite actually starting the season quite well still, and obviously Gent are still in second place, so it's not that uh, their whole performance has been, uh, team performance has really been suffering too much of it, but um, in difficult in difficult games, they they, they yeah they could really uh, use some of the, those goals again uh, to put them over the line. Yeah, and, and Ben was also t- talking about the Warloson. I also saw on Fotmob that he was um, uh, he had the highest rating of the game, I believe, and I was a bit surprised by that because his shot stopping is, was a bit questionable at times as well, like uh, a bit a bit like Bolat uh, the day before. Uh, well, um, just uh, yeah, punching the ball or like um, a bit too much or like uh, taking the ball in two times, but making it like not not uh, advertently so like quite inadvertently that that he was that he was fumbling the ball a bit but then well he could take it on the second try again uh so no so no harm done but uh i was still a bit surprised but maybe he gave himself some more saves like that as well uh but um yeah nonetheless good win for Sekle. um yeah Nothing to worry about on the long run for Gent yet, um, except these uh, striking numbers there. Uh, yeah, for Kuipers and Orban, they, they need to put, uh, find their scoring boosts again. Yeah, they definitely do. And I think Varlison's uh, rating was boosted by that assist um, because he just lumped it over the top and he, they ran, Denki ran on the score and he gets the assist. So I think keepers always get a that, nice little bonus from that. Yeah, that obviously uh, must have played a major role in that. <laughs> a nice little boost there. Uh, let's go to Liège for a game of two halves between Standard and Andelect, obviously no love lost between these two sides and their fan bases whatsoever. It was Andelect who had the better of the first half. Casper uh, Dolberg finishing from a Torgan Hazard cross. Uh, absolutely no one picked Dolberg up. Literally six minutes later, uh, Anders Dreyer was unmarked again as well and he found the back of the net. Looked like Andelect made it three literally instantly afterwards. Um Pinching the ball off standard, running through and make and grabbing, yeah, a third. But Leone, I think it was, was a judge to have handled the ball. So that one was ruled out, which caused a little bit of controversy and a little bit of frustration. Half time comes, uh, Hufkins uh, probably chucks a teapot around. Uh, standard come up with, come out of the uh, out of the break with a lot more energy, a lot more, a lot more fight, and they get right back into it when Steven Azat. Uh, makes it 2-1 in the 52nd. Hayo Kawabe then with a really, really nice finish in literally three minutes later to make it 2-2. And the comeback's complete 
basically five minutes later when Nathan Ngoy absolutely smashes the ball into the back of the net to make it three goals to two. Just a mental, mental kind of reversal and comeback um, uh, from standard Liège. And I think it was Sasha Tavio Lieri on Twitter was saying that sometimes when that stadium gets going and the fans get behind them, they get that momentum. It can feel a little bit unstoppable. Uh, and for that kind of 10-minute spell, it did definitely feel like that for Standard. Uh, and they thought they could should have had a penalty in the second half, but they didn't get that either. So there's a lot of frustration for Brian Reamer, a lot of joy for Carl Hufkins, who when Ngoy put that ball in the back of it, just had his head on his hands, just couldn't believe what his side had actually gone and done. Um, little question I'll chuck to you guys from uh, from Ollie uh, at It's Really Ollie. Uh, he said, is Hufkin's current run fee- not feeling slightly similar to Dyler's last year at the beginning of the season? How long can Standard build their hopes on rebuilding completely and somehow finding a solution that works with a motivating coach and good loan players? Um, these are <laughs> 100% win percentage with Steven Alzate. So, yeah, obviously your opinion on the game, guys, but then kind of what do you think about the kind of the comparison to last season and this idea that they can just grab these random players on loan, not random players, but they bring in these this quality on loan and it, it just seems to, to work and it definitely has at the moment. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you've already used the word mental because this was a mental game. Um and I, I just wonder, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions here. What exactly did did Carl say at halftime? I know that he made some tactical tweaks um, because he he mentioned that he did, and they certainly had to do that for a number of reasons. But I just wonder generally what what Carl said. I'd be fascinated to to kind of hear more about that. Um, yeah, a, a wild game, which you know, Anderlecht absolutely dominated the first half, and and I thought uh, were really strong in their transitionary play, um, the sort of stuff that I think Standard would like to be able to do themselves to to kind of other sides. They were really efficient, and you know, I think if they go in three nil at half time, which they were very very unlucky not to do. Um, ultimately, then you know, I, th- I think the game is over because you know the life's been sucked out of it. Um, so they were unfortunate in having that that third goal um, chopped off. Um, just to kind of round back to the the, the penalty that Anderlecht thought they were due for a second, I think that's pretty clear. Now, I think Jonathan Lardo, in fact, has even come out himself, the the match referee, and, and said that yeah, he felt uh, Anderlecht should have had a penalty, and and that VAR let let everybody down there. Which I thought was, you know, refreshingly honest. Um, but yeah, just just a wild game. Brian Reimer very frustrated actually, straight down the tunnel on full time. Um, speaking afterwards about his his own side's mental collapse, as he put it, uh, which was really frank and interestingly as well. Anderlecht were due to have a, a rest day. Uh, on Monday, but Brian Reimer decided to cancel that and bring everybody in for for some light work and move the rest day to uh, later in the week, um, which I think uh, he's moved it to the Tuesday. Um, so he, he wanted to have a have a meeting, particularly about that second half and 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 yeah, the mental approach to it more than anything else, because he was quite honest about not being happy about that. And yeah, strange. Ben said game of two halves very much. Um, I didn't see Anderlecht turning this uh, sorry standard turning this around at all. Um, you know, football is is a beautiful and strange and highly unpredictable thing. At the best of times, um, it's one of the reasons why we we love it. 
Um, and, and this game really did did exemplify that. We spoke as well after Standard's win against a club recently at Sklesen that maybe this could be a significant point for them in the, is, is this a momentum switch for them? Can something start now? Well, that's two huge back-to-back wins and two quite big statements, which relates to the question that Ben was asking about that's quite similar to Ronnie Dyla having... Um, some success early on against uh, the bigger teams last season and struggling against sides you maybe would expect them to pick up points against. We don't really know. That's how I feel about it at the moment. Um, they've got a decent schedule coming up and the, the atmosphere around the place should have changed. But we did highlight as well when me and Joris were talking for the international break that I think key to the whole season for standard being decent, if it's going to turn out that way, is going to be being really strong at home. Um, and they, they, they've certainly done that recently um, in, in a way that they're going to have to do kind of more um, more regularly. Um, I, I'm not sure whether this is the beginning of something, um, you know, a long, consistent run of, of performances. I never think it's a particularly good sign when any side can perform well against so-called bigger sides, but really struggle against sides that they should be getting, you know, something off. So it's, it's kind of too early to say. But yeah, I yeah, Carl, what 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 did you say at halftime? Well, Van Heusen in in his interview mentioned that uh, it, at least some part of it was like if you get that first goal, then uh, then we're back in it and you'll you'll go get win it something like that. Uh, then the stadium will get behind too. Well, exactly what happened in the end, uh, ultimately, of course, as well. Um, but that's seven games unbeaten for them um, now in a row. Um, yeah, Hufkes next to Daila with Club to to make mix these names again as well, of course, uh, which is for one one of them more uh, of a good sign than for another, um, and ultimately for both of them, I guess a bit in the middle nonetheless. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, the really fans, the they, 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 the stadium was quite silent after the nil two, which is not a no, no surprise, and especially after that. This eventually disallowed the third goal for Anderlecht. Um, yeah, they actually the, the stadium was 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 dead. Um, but that, that that really changed after that, especially after that first goal, and maybe already a bit early in that second half. Um, that's uh, that's um, definitely um, something uh, uh, yeah special. Uh, definitely how how this uh, atmosphere and the, and the, what's going on on the pitch is is going on. Um, yeah. For Anderlecht, then that's uh, the, their streak broken, so no ten games in a row unbeaten, and more worrying, maybe more like this imploding after that uh, first goal. That um, yeah, um, yes, that uh, yeah, that the, uh, the fragility that's in that side, and that actually you'd hope that they would not have that anymore, uh, since they more well they traded in a bit of the. Of of uh, youths with uh, with more experience over the past few uh, transfer windows, and um, yeah, and then it's uh, surprising for a bit more experienced side that they really, even they get uh, get through that um, as well, of course. And for Standard, well, it's the well, uh, I it, the schedule is looking very tough uh, to be honest. Uh, but uh, if they get through that through these next games, then the the, the run in is of course. Uh, that that's uh, that could be something that they could play in their favor. They they play Ghent uh, at home, um, away at, um, 
okay, then a cup game, then Mechelen at home, but from then it starts Antwerp, uh, Genk, Dubuque, the return game from Anderlecht, the, the derby uh, for, against Charleroi. Well, derby or the, the Walloon <laughs> derby uh, against Charleroi. Um, yeah, so if they get through these games uh, pretty much unscattered, then, uh, then, then who knows what their season will bring. But um, yeah, they, they definitely brought, a, brought their, their season alive over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, well, I guess since the, the end of the, of the transfer window where they had finally did some business and uh, it's paying off uh, a bit as well so far. <laughs> yeah, definitely so far. Um, it's looking pretty good for Standard Liège. Um, while we were away, uh, I guess we could say Leuven parted ways with Mark Bryce. Didn't seem to affect them too much because they actually won a game and they won it quite well. <laughs> uh, they beat St. Tudor 4 0. In the singing and Bruins both started, and uh, that seemed to be a good way to go for the home sides. Yusuf Maziz with the free ball to Nsingi. Nsingi made it 1-0. Bruins then missed uh, a chance to make it 2. But they were given a penalty uh, in the 22nd minute, which Steve Slivers uh, slotted in to make it 2-0. Uh, into the second half, uh, I think it was Stoikers had a decent chance to to get one back for St. Trudent, but he couldn't quite manage it. Hamza Mendel uh, then decided to show his goal-scoring prowess. Uh, Kento Misal with the assist for his first and then Hamza uh, got the next one with an assist from Nachon Nsingi to make it four goals to nil. So a bit of a statement win, guys, I guess, for for Leuven. And a clean sheet is kind of the bigger thing that we can take away from this. But <laughs> ironically, Mendel, after the game, dedicated his goals to Mark Bryce. Um, <laughs> I just don't understand what the situation is there because there was all those rumours coming out like last season that Shivers and Mertens and loads of them wanted him gone. Uh, they didn't seem to really be playing much for him, but then they're like, oh yeah, let's dedicate this one to him. Um, <laughs> it's all a bit weird, but at the end of the day, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's just an important win for Lerv and important to see the, the ball go into the back of the net. First clean sheet since they beat Courtrike a couple of weeks uh, a couple of match weeks, I guess we could say, ago. Ends a run of two successive defeats on the bounce as well. Beating a team that we expect to be in and around them, despite how well St. Juden have played, we expect them to be in and around Leuven, kind of scrapping to avoid that bottom four. So a nice statement win and one I didn't actually see coming. Uh, I didn't see them being able to romp to victory in this one, but it shows that, yeah, maybe there is kind of, we should expect more from them this season. And this is kind of, the performances that people will now be expecting every week. And potentially they found like a formation system that will actually work with Misao in that central midfield spot alongside Shrivers. Well, this is this is what happens, I think, when a, when an interim T1, in this case Levin's Eddie Van Emel, um, gets things absolutely spot on tactically, I think. Um, he was talking afterwards about how the game plan was to kind of kill St. Truden on transitions. And when you bear in mind that St. Truden have been playing really expansive, pretty open, good to watch football so far this season, uh, but being guilty of, you know, losing the ball in kind of key areas because of that at times and the balance not necessarily being right. Um, what Levin really did here, I think, to, be, to to win this game convincingly was was win a lot of the the, the transitions in key places in the game and make St. Truden pay for it. 
um, which was actually kind of quite impressive. Impressive, like Ben, I didn't quite see the the margin of victory coming, uh, but I think the game plan was absolutely spot on in, in terms of exploiting where some of St. Truden's weaknesses lie at the moment. I think from uh, from Torsten Fink's uh, perspective, I think the the match report remains the same as it's been for a few weeks. A lot of very very good football played, uh, but not taking their chances, and they simply have to address the striking issue in January. Um, they failed to get somebody in before the end of the window there over the summer. Um, it remains their, their their number one issue um, because they're they're playing a lot of great football. They're they're good to watch. Um, they're not taking their chances and they leave themselves vulnerable in, in transitions because of that all over the pitch. And we saw a really good example of how that that can, you know, really, really um, hurt you this weekend. Um, interesting to see if, if, if Leuven can actually build on that or whether that is just a, a really good tactical response to, to playing a particular side this weekend. They are apparently taking their time, Leuven, on, on, on appointing a new T1. So don't expect anything on that imminently, everybody. Um, that seems to be the the word on the street, as they say at the moment. Um, but yeah, impressive stuff for them. And um, Torsten Fink will be um, sitting there, um, praying, praying that he gets the striker that they they really badly need at the moment. Yeah, probably their worst performance of the season uh, with uh, Sinterad, and also at the back, uh, Suzuki could have done a bit better on a few uh, occasions. And um, also, of course, there was a penalty, for example, uh, which also shows that your defending could have been a bit better. Win losing four now as well, uh, and conceding four in consecutive games as well. That that's potentially uh, also an additional worry that uh, that that's uh, coming first in Trade. Only two two points out of the the relegation uh, playoff spots now, but. Um, do not be too dramatic. That goes for half the league, literally. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's uh, that doesn't need to say that much yet. But uh, it might show that maybe to uh, like uh, Molenbeek, they maybe should have banked a bit more on that uh, good start of the season. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, well, I still have to see how it all evolves over the course of the season. Of course, uh, if this is uh, if they get out of this slump quickly or not. Yeah, for uh, for the Leuven, then they are still behind Sintrade, nonetheless. Of course, on basis of this game, a bit of a uh, better story for them. They are actually out of this relegation zone, albeit uh, it's only one point. Then, so well, again, does not say that much necessarily, but they they definitely needed a, a win um, again. Um, and and yeah, that's uh, that's that's especially gives them some more time to look for a, a successor for Mike Bass, uh, of course, as well. Yeah, and, and Mendil wrecking havoc was, uh, was indeed uh, an, an, expi- uh, an, an interesting thing to see. see. He's done that a few times already uh, this season, um, that, he, that he goes tra- through, and this time he actually scored a hat-trick, but in, on one of the occasions, um, yeah, the, 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 he got the ball from Bruin Larsen, who was clearly uh, offside, that, too bad for for Mendil, but uh, in the end, uh, he did get his second goal nonetheless. So um, that, that I guess the, that that he won't be too uh, mad about that either. And uh, yeah, a good win uh, for for Leuve with only thirty four percent position uh, ball position as well. So um, it shows that you don't always have to uh, have the ball to to win games. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And a uh, shout out to anyone that put Hamza Mendel in their uh, fantasy football team this weekend, because yeah, 
psychic, I guess. I don't, I don't know why else <laughs> um, Yeah, that's it for the Pro League. Let's quickly jump to the Challenger Pro League. Um, Scott, plenty of moving and shaking down there this weekend. Yeah, things have been changing up a little bit there. Uh, we've reached match day nine in the Challenger Pro League uh, score roundup, as usual. Start with uh, Beerscott won 2 1 against Lommel. Denza beat Yong Genk 3 2. Anderlecht Futures won 3 0 convincingly against SL 16. Uh, Liers won 1 0 at home against Sarang, and what was actually quite a big result for them down at the bottom this weekend. Uh, Zalta Varagam beat RFC Liege 1 0. Dender and Ustend drew one each, and Beveren got a very big 3 0 win away against Club Next. Frank Baran and Patro Eisden played out a, a, a 0 0 draw. Um, what, what's happening in terms of the bigger picture? Well, Zalta, Zalta have gone top um, ahead of Lommel, courtesy of uh, Lommel's defeat. Uh, Beershot beating Lommel means they're up to third. They're in a decent run of form at the moment, Beershot. Denza, likewise, they're up to fifth now um, after their win this past weekend as well. Their form's not too bad. Um, I suppose the big story, really, in a way for me of the weekend is Beveren's 3-0 win against Club Next. The pressure's really been building um, for a number of reasons. Uh, 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 at um obviously, they, they were in the drop zone at one point uh, this weekend before their game so they they really needed that win badly just to relieve a little bit of the pressure which to be fair still going to be there I think they need to go on some kind of a run to to kind of convince a lot of fans that you know maybe things will will, will have turned um a lot of angry Beveren fans still still around at the moment but you know they'll be a little bit more relieved um this weekend um so that that's probably the big story for me um, top scorers at the moment uh, still Adriano Bertaccini everybody at RFC Liège but he has been joined as joint top scorer now by a certain Zeno Gano who everybody will know yeah big Zeno still banging him in uh, it's always good to see uh, yeah you mentioned Bearscott making a little move up and obviously they've got that game in hand uh, which is against uh, SL16 um, which at the moment they want that they'd actually go top. So they're kind of sneaking their way into returning to the Pro League. They want us to kind of see them back. Uh, so Ryan Sanusi scored as well. Big fan of Ryan Sanusi. Good to see him yeah. getting himself on the score sheet. Uh, before we head off, guys, just a quick kind of... There's two more questions uh, from Twitter, but they're kind of the same, so we can kind of talk about them at the same time. Uh, basically around Union um, uh, from... Justice uh, or at Darth Squidge, uh, how tight is it going to be this season before Union screw up the championship again? <laughs> or will Club Rouge missing out, missing playoffs mean there's actually a chance they'll win it? Uh, Free So Rare says, who can stop Union uh, themselves? Question mark. Um, I mean, Scott and I, we're, we're probably quite famous for our ridiculously early title predictions, uh, whereas yours is a little bit more level. Uh, we like to go early. I think one year we said Charleroi could win it, uh, which <laughs> I don't know what we were. No, that, that was that was that was me with a hot take. <laughs> um, so I'll go I'll to you first for, that. for the. I'll go to you we'll first. Down quite quickly. Hot <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what do you guys think? Kind of in terms of Union's chances of of sustaining it. I guess we we have kind of spoken about it a little bit, um, but yeah, just a, a quick 20, 10, 20 second answer on those. 
Well, it's obviously too early, but you know they're they're certainly you know kind of cruising to a degree at the moment. I had a conversation with an agent I know recently who did happen to say to me that he thinks they're 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 finally going to do it this year. Um, he, he just thinks you know they, they 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 seem to have kind of struck gold with all of the recruitment yet again, which which I agree with him with as well. Yeah, definitely. But again, too early to tell. But they're in a good position, of course, and uh, it looks like. Uh, well, at least I believe I had them a bit lower on the table this season. Um, I, I'll have my health, uh, hands up high already for that. Uh, I'm sure they will be up there, but what is up there, we'll see at the end of the season, I guess. Yeah, I think I think they've got everything they need to do it, but I don't know. I think after the last two seasons, I don't want to jinx them or do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, keep the questions coming in. We do we do love to uh, to try and answer them. Uh, as best we can we hope we do do that um but i think that probably is all for today guys uh, as always it's been a pleasure absolutely i've got a, a nice cold belgian beer on hold for me now um after after a long day always good to sit down and chat about the the weekend's action best of luck to all the belgian sides in european action this week as well you know what to do bring us back some coefficient points guys <laughs> and yeah well nothing much out there uh, the, so yeah Bring back, back, bring back some points, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Uh, unlike Scott, I was thinking of, oh, should I go watch my team play? Uh, but Reading already one 0 down to Fleetwood, and the game kicked off at eight, and two minutes in, they already one 0 down. So after sitting through them losing four 0 on Saturday, I don't think I'm going to do that. So it's uh, the Great British Bake Off for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do I have to put myself through anything stupid like that? But anyway, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do do this review on your podcast app of choice. If you've got any questions for us, please do get in touch in the usual ways as well but once again thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the belgian football podcast